0: and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Everybody, welcome to the Building Excellence podcast today. I have a special guest, Dr. Nathan Baxter and Diane Baxter. Thank you guys for being on today.
1: Uh, It's a pleasure. We're excited to chat with you. Yeah, glad to be here.
0: Yeah, well, if you guys would first kind of, let's dive into your stories a little bit, uh, and we'll go uh, both of you guys real quick, but what was it kind of like growing up for both of you guys?
1: Oh, you go first because yours is the better one. (laughs)
2: Um, You know, my parents just celebrated 65 year wedding anniversary. So that tells you that just a great home life, two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three and grew up in Oklahoma with my dad's career path. We moved throughout the state growing up and it was just, you know, a wonderful childhood and we were involved in church and community, and brothers were in sports. I was in gymnastics, and it was just all great.
0: Yeah did you did you have any particular experiences that you feel like kind of shaped you, um, as in your younger years?
3: Hmm.
2: I you know there was a four year time frame. We lived in a small town in western Oklahoma, Clinton, Oklahoma, okay. and I just think that was that. Literally, the high schoolers dragged Main. People know that term, going up uh-huh. and down Main Street, and you know you could go to the movies, you could ride your bike anywhere. Everybody knew everybody. Just that, it was just a safe place, and you know the things we did then, you couldn't do it now. You wouldn't, you wouldn't let your kid go take their bike halfway across town. It was all those things that were commonplace, just everybody knew everybody, and I don't know. It was just a wonderful, wonderful community and little town that for me, that was like fifth or eighth grade. And that was just a really sweet time there. Sure, One of my favorite little places we lived in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you, you grew up in a, you know, that was a memorable experience to be at, in Clinton growing up. And then also you had, you talked about your parents and their influence on you. So uh, Nathan, what was it like for you? I mean, did you grow up in, in Oklahoma as well? And, uh, and what complete, was your
1: complete opposite story? So we moved a lot uh parents divorced in the third grade um i'm the oldest of seven so step parents stepsisters stepbrothers half sisters part-time i mean the whole gamut Uh, a lot of confusion a lot of hurt um the cool thing about my story is now we all get together and there's zero tension there's just a, Mm a really really sweet spirit um, but the the path to get there was a little uh, rough. Let's just yeah. say it that
0: way. Sure, sure. Now, do you have any particular experiences that, as you look back, kind of define growing up, uh, things that shaped you, or maybe maybe shaped you in the way that things that you didn't want to do as well?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, in my early years, I, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, and so my love for the outdoors and the rugged, still today. Was really uh, encouraged in my early years. Um, I think that was a, a big help. And then just um, you know, when you go through the family trauma that I went to, you you have to make decisions. You know, am I going to be a victim or am I going to you know? Once you start adulting, mm-hmm. so I th- I think just processing that pain and and broken relationships um, really found my faith in Christ. Yeah, age nineteen is where it really. And so I was able to get access to some biblical concepts and truths on how to deal with it. And um, so a difficult upbringing, but then the faith and the scriptures really put me on a, a good path.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing you touched on is, is, is not being a victim. You know, how if you look back, what enabled you to not have a mentality of, well, this is the way it'll be. And this is instead of having a victim mentality versus like saying, you know what, I'm going to. I'm going to total do a 180 and then go a different direction.
1: Yeah, and I get asked that question a lot when I'm doing coaching with mm-hmm. people who kind of share my background. Uh, the concept of forgiveness is, is the only way, it has been my experience on the only way out of victim mentality where I just release you of anything that you owe me. And um, that really freed me up to go on about my life instead of staying stuck in the past. Uh, Doesn't mean I want to hang out with you, (laughs) but to some people. But uh, that's how I explain it, just to keep it simple.
0: Yeah, forgiveness is powerful. And, um, you know, you touched on your experiences. So you guys ultimately, where did you guys meet at?
1: Well complicated. Which yeah. which story do you want? The accurate one or hers? Uh,
2: the very yeah. first time we met was my high school graduation that evening. There's a neat group of friends, and we all met at what was Nathan's dad's house. He has a sister my age, and we were graduating together. We okay. just needed a place together with all these neat kids. And so we went to what was their home and Nathan's best friend um, played the, you know, did the DJ. They were like the DJs for us. And I met him that night and really don't remember it because I was just excited to be with my friends and I was dating somebody at the time. And so So he
0: he wasn't a memorable DJ then.
2: (laughs) Not a memorable DJ. So then that fall, I go up to OSU for my freshman year where he was already up there and kind of met him again up at OSU. And that's that's where we really got to know each other and became friends and dated a tail end of my, both of our OSU years.
1: But. And and I had the opposite story, which is <laughs> I met her in high school at my sister's party and she made a major impact on me and I couldn't get her out of my head.
3: Uh-huh.
1: So it was, it was a little bit of a bummer a year or two later, I had to reintroduce myself <laughs> <Yeah. 'cause laughs> she didn't know who I was and she's the only one I thought about, you know, uh-huh. so,
0: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. You know, this is my first time to do a couples podcast together. So it's fun to hear both perspectives. Um, <laughs> so anyway, okay, so you guys had a chance to meet and then you get to college, you know, um, did you guys, you both went to Oklahoma State, What were you guys studying? And do you guys have a direction of where you wanted to go after college at the time?
1: Yeah, she was a marketing major, I was a business major. And uh, age 20 is when I, I, my goal was to be a businessman in the community. But at age 20, I felt strongly the calling to go into ministry. And so I stayed with my major, but I had pretty well determined that's, that was my career path in life, was to go into ministry. So I became a youth pastor. While I was in college, I did some youth internships. And then as soon as I graduated, I became a youth pastor and then kind of went on from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Same. What about you, Diane?
2: Yeah, I always wanted to be a businesswoman. Degree was marketing, and I wanted to be a corporate career woman um, and thought I would marry a corporate career guy. So that was something we had to work through was we really were seriously dating was, could I see myself married to someone in full-time ministry? Because mm-hmm. he knew he was going to head on to seminary after college. And you know, while I grew up in the church, I just,
1: just had envisioned that for my life, mm-hmm. you know, marrying in ministry. So one one of the things you're going to pick up in this interview is opposites. It's <laughs> but yeah. opposites attract.
0: <laughs> I know I've heard that too. So that that's that's uh, that works but, as well.
1: Yeah, but when they attract, there's this. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: sure, sure. So obviously, Nathan, you got into ministry, and you guys kind of obviously, Diane, you saw yourself yeah. being okay with that. Uh, as you guys moved out of college, what was it like? Uh, being freshly out of college, were you married right out of college, or in college, or when you guys get married?
1: Well, I graduated mid-semester, so okay. I began my job immediately. Then she graduated, and, um, and then a year after that, we, yeah, we were so about a year after we graduated, we started dating pretty heavily uh, right at the tail end of college.
0: Yeah. Okay. Was it a what was the transition like for you guys jumping into the real world and having jobs and doing things? Because uh, that's very different from being in college and and dating and whatnot. Um, yeah. so just talk about that experience.
1: Well, I loved it because I didn't have any classes, yeah <laughs> uh, you know, and I got to kind of be a leader. I love leadership and um, you know my my dream and calling was to work for a local church. Uh, when I first got out of college i was I didn't have any money. I put myself through school, so at the end of that road means you are dead broke. <laughs> you know? So I went to work for a machine shop because it paid the most. And uh, my goal was to go to seminary, but I I was completely broke. I'm dating her, probably going to get married. I got no cash. So machine shop, I I worked there for about six or seven months, horrible job, great money. And I got hired by this church to become their youth pastor. So on Friday, I went from using solvent at the end of a shift because I'm covered in soot Mm -hmm. to office with a door, air conditioning, refreshment bar. Yeah, yeah. It was just this radical shift from blue collar to white collar overnight. Uh-huh. Um, so that that was a pretty amazing uh, experience for me to, you know, get started as a youth. So I was I was fired up, you know, when I got my first job as a youth pastor.
0: Yeah. And real quickly, I want to dive into your story a little bit on that side of things where you thought you're going to be in... You know in business per se but then you felt called to get into ministry just kind of touch on you know whenever someone feels called or, or step was it something that was uncomfortable to step into ministry or was it a pretty pretty easy transition to know that you wanted to get in there because sometimes that that change in your direction of where you're going is tough to to, to change if, if you cannot accept that hey this is something I'd, I'd rather do or i feel led to go down that road
1: Yeah, it's, for me, it it was a complete 180, uh, but it was a spiritual experience for me. It wasn't a low-cost probe, as you and I, Dave, talks about that. It was go out and get counsel. It it was a little bit of the opposite for me, where I was going one direction, kind of had a moment where I started thinking God was speaking to me, you know, whatever that means, you know, that was new, and at the end of the day, I felt crystal clear, this is my new calling. And mm-hmm. I just went, whoosh. so there wasn't a lot of planning, preparation. It was just a, a, um, a deep conviction that this is what I was supposed to do. So it, I realized that that's not normative for most people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but that was my experience.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of power in being able to uh, change directions and being open to new opportunities. Maybe it's not the same thing that you thought about in your head, but when an opportunity presents itself, it's the right one to take it and uh, take that risk and take that step out of your own comfort zone or your comfort zone into uncomfort a little bit. It's really powerful.
1: Yeah. High school, college. The one, one thing I said, I'll never do is be a pastor.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you know, it's funny you say that because that's been a common theme on the podcast too. There's a lot of people that they never, you know, you can never say never because it, it always, always turns around a little bit. Um, So that's, that's ironic, but what about you, Diane? What did you wind up doing out of college first and foremost?
2: So um, I got a job here in Tulsa and, you know, in the marketing world with a Mm -hmm. manufacturing actually facility they manufactured butterfly valves. So I was in a very industrial male dominated industry in the sales inside outside sales world, but when I graduated and I got that job and took that job, it was of course here in Tulsa because Nathan was in Tulsa and we were like, we knew we were going to get married. We were just, what was the timing going to be for engagement and all that. So, um, I knew I probably had one year before we married. It was probably gonna look like that. So I moved back home with my mom and dad with my intentions to just save money for us to have a little stockpile once we marry, you know, And so that's what I did. And so, you know, that was interesting too, because you're used to being in college and having no uh, curfew. And I remember I'm back home and my dad wants to put a curfew on me again, like when I was in high school. Uh (laughs) That was just, those were some interesting
1: dynamics, you know, but. um, I had to leave the house at 10. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What what are we, ninth graders? Uh Uh-huh. I think we talked
2: him into let's make it midnight dad let's uh I can I can be out till midnight
0: yeah push push the limit there yeah so So anyway both
1: college grads asking the dad to extend his curfew to midnight
0: Uh uh, I
2: was still I'm the baby girl I'm his only girl and I'm the baby
3: Uh uh-huh okay
2: this was still his mindset but anyway so you know that was my that adulting shift I guess but you know, it was just being for us. We saw wisdom. I knew it was very temporary, but it was a way to financially, because again, he had no money because he paid his own way your college and was just getting on his feet financially. And if I could save, you know, that helped us mm-hmm. start our first year and start out a marriage with no debt. You had to pay off a little bit of student loans. And we really wanted to start our marriage with no debt. And mm-hmm. so those two factors allowed us to do that.
1: Here, here's a fun fact. I was deeply burdened with student debt and my bill was $4,100. <laughs> okay. I mean, you read in the, you know, you read about student debt north of 250 now. And uh-huh. Mine was $4,100 and I had to sign a promissory note that I would pay it off.
0: Yeah. It yeah.
1: felt like 4 million to me.
0: Sure. Sure. It's all relative, but yes. Yeah. There's a lot of student debt. That's quite a bit more now, that's for sure but it is, it is relative. Well, it's interesting real quick. I want to touch on a subject. You guys talked a little bit about your story and you talked about being opposites a little bit. What advice would you give to maybe younger couples in marriage starting out?
1: Well, you've, you've read our book, right? You've looked at it at least Mm -hmm. that really tells the story of us uh, towards your question. That's why I put her personality, my personality, because we are, we're very, very opposite. Um, And the key is don't apologize for who you are. You're unique, you're different, you're passionate, you're expressive, you're quiet, you're introvert, extroverted. But at the same time, allow your mate to share openly who they are and then say, how can we over time really form a great team while preserving our uniquenesses?
2: Yeah, you cannot try and change the other person.
1: Well, you can try. You can try not going to go anywhere. It's, it's like a bungee cord. <laughs> the moment you let off pressure, it snaps back. So there's mm. no changing. Mm. But yeah. I, I think that's my, that's what we advised both of our sons when they got married is, is um, be strong in who you are, but also applaud her and her differences and let her be strong in that and then form this amazing united front and team. hmm
0: why do you think it's, it's such a challenge for couples today to have really good marriages?
1: You got a, you got a thought? Or... I always have a thought. So. Well, you start and then I'll... Okay. Well, I'll, I'll start with our Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been married 34 years, 35 years this year. will be 35 minutes. So people say, how do you last that long? You know, all of our friends are divorced. Um, nice. One, we have just some great principles and truths that when we lose our way and we we, we get in trouble, we we can go. We know where to go back to. Um, that's one thing. And then realizing that the other person's not the enemy. Um, it's just that they're different. And you, you gotta to have something amazing. You gotta work at it. You mm-hmm. know, it, it takes work. Um. Uh, we had many a night where no talkie talkie. <laughs> it wasn't happening. This it was not marital bliss. Yeah.
2: But I think you know you hear the term open communication, but I think communication is is a skill. It's like something you have yeah. to work on. Being vulnerable to really share, hey, that what you said hurt me, or just I need to share this with you, and then to be a good listener and really study your mates. I mean, he had to remind me, it was still not perfect today. I picked up something for lunch and brought it home for us to have. And his sandwich had bacon on it. He goes, honey, I don't <laughs> like bacon. I'm like, oh yeah. You know that, that turkey avocado bacon sandwich I just thought would be great. He's like, hey. I don't like thinking like oh my god 35 years 35 years I'm still but I,
1: I got her down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but he didn't get mad at me, you know. He could have said how many times do I have to
1: yeah, that I could have slammed that you sandwich the you know Nathan 1.0 <laughs> so
2: just yeah just learning how to quickly forgive and not not overreact to things and ask forgiveness. He one of the things he did from day one is if we ever offended each other, I grew up with just, you know, with my brothers or something like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I did that or sorry, I said that. And you go on. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're going to practice forgiveness. And you're going to say, will you forgive me for and state whatever the offense is. And then when the other one says, I forgive you, true forgiveness means I will never bring it up again. It is a, dent, you know, hmm. you're forgiven. It's a clean slate, fresh start again. But that was really hard for me. I'll, you know, it would be pride on my part to say, will you forgive me for, but then it was really freeing to hear him say, I do. I forgive you. And I really needed that. And I didn't know I needed that and vice versa. So that's it, it, been something we've
1: just, you know, I'm I'm the, I'm the one that came up with it for us it was just as hard for me. I remember spending a half a day at work thinking, okay, I'm going home for lunch. Am I going to say, yes, I forgive you? Because I'd been holding out. She asked me yesterday. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm not going to answer yet. You know, it's still so it, it's just hard. But man, that, you're right. That practice served us well. And we taught our boys to do the same yeah.
2: with mm-hmm. each other and us. And now they do that with their spouses. I don't know if there's something good in that.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And there's something just about um, forgiveness in a marriage, even if, even if you don't have maybe that natural inclination within you to do that, uh, just like anything, it takes discipline and and commitment. And in marriage, there's a lot of commitment, um, but uh, it's making sure that you are committed and focused to the marriage, making it the best marriage it can be, And, and really understanding what you guys talked about before is just understanding each other. We're all wired differently. We're all unique. And understanding what that looks like in each one of our, you know, our spouses and being able to, uh, you know, kind of work with that. And they might be opposite of one way and then working with them in another way. So I think that's that's pretty important.
1: Well, and you got to remember, my journey was I grew up around bad marriages. So no, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen that and I've lived that. So we're not doing that. We're going to do something different. And I was pretty motivated to have the best possible marriage because one, I I believe what the scripture teaches, but number two, I know the ripple effect of couples, um, you know, that split up and I, I just, I wanted to break the cycle so bad that I was willing to hang in there with all my pride and my insecurities, but we just kept chipping away at it, you know, and we got some outside help as well. I mean, that was, that was very helpful to get perspective, but.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, that, that's some great advice on marriage. And I, I think that's, that's, that's fantastic. But go, going back into your story a little bit. Um, so you guys have just started out, um, you're working on your marriage, you know, young, you guys just, you started ministry, you're working for a company. How did all those things evolve to where you are today?
1: Well, the, the fast track story is, uh, I was a youth pastor six years. Then I became the associate pastor at the same church. I resigned and became the senior pastor in Kansas City um, at the Avondale Baptist Church for eight years. At the end of our eighth year, I was pretty well burnt out. I would, I'd completed my master's, I was working on my doctorate. So, and two young kids and the good church, but just very, very different from my leadership style and what the church truly needed. And um, so I told her, I said, I, I just, I gotta take a break. We took a year off. I was um, wrapping up some other things. We moved back to Tulsa. You finished your doctorate. Before I left there? Yes. Yeah. So came back to Tulsa. And um, in that eight-month period, I started reading a book with my former pastor, just sort of, uh, hey, I, I want to get back on track. I want to get my thinking clear. And in those conversations of reading the book together, he said, hey, why don't you come back to work for me again? except be my executive pastor. You don't have to be the lead pastor. You don't have to speak. Um, But I really need sort of an ops guy, um, execution guy, develop the staff. That's what I need because that's where I'm weak. So I came back on, uh, did that for six years. At the end of six years, began the conversation with myself, my wife, my mentor, my pastor of, you know, I don't think this is a long-term trajectory for me. I've been at it 24 years. 26 years at that time. And I just couldn't see myself finishing the back half of my career in the local church. Uh, nothing wrong with the local church, but I want to spend much more time focusing on uh, developing leaders uh, and mainly in a one on one capacity. So in church work, you got to deal with, you know, financials, business, legal. There's, there's all types of things that you have to deal with in addition to developing the staff. And I thought, boy, if there was ever a way I could shed all those meetings and all of those things that are important, but it's really not in my sweet spot and focus on developing leaders. And so it took us two years to figure it out. And we landed on coaching, lead self, lead others. And so we finally got to a place uh, where we resigned. And we started uh, Lead Self, Lead Others. And for the first uh, uh, date that we paid our best bank out of our coaching profits was January 2010. <laughs> and that's a, that's a big moment when you've been salaried for 28 years. Every 15 days you get paid and they make a little investment in your retirement and they cover your health insurance. And when all that goes away, because you're pursuing this passion, <laughs> it's hard to eat passion if, if there's, <laughs> you need some money.
3: Uh-huh.
1: So uh, we launched out and uh, it's, you know, thanks to God's generosity. It's just been an incredible ride for the last 11 years.
0: Yeah. And, and that's as you're, passion. yeah, yeah, that's great. But as you're kind of evaluating all those things, the things that you didn't want to do within ministry and the things that you were good at and you did want to do, how did you identify those things? And I know for sure you talked about having a mentor around you Were those did you have mentors around you helped you identify those things?
1: Yeah. So Diane, my pastor and a guy named Dave Jewett, which we both know. So uh, all three of them began to send messages to me that when you do this, you come alive. You're really good at it. And you're developing a reputation that your your batting average is pretty good. Uh, These other job functions that you're doing, you're good. But we can, we can find somebody else to do those. But what you're doing is very, very unique. And so they began to affirm that. So then the next question became, well, how do you monetize this? Because this was just a passion of mine.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Meet with leaders and help them get better. I mean, how do you monetize that? And so I began to explore the world of consulting, which was brand new to me. I didn't know anything about it. Um, I actually hired a business consultant to help me evaluate my, my offering to the market, helped me get organized, uh, gave me a pathway forward on how do you actually put a shingle out there? Um, So without them, especially her really saying, I think you ought to try it. Uh, The other factor we had is we had two kids in high school and they were headed to college. Yeah. Yeah. And so Timing was a little, a little off, you know, but, and it was right. Out, it, was, it was 2010. Well, you know what happened in 2008. Yeah. So, so just to give you a little nugget. Uh, we figured out how to monetize it. Uh, and in chapter one, if you read that, it, it uh, we figured it out because someone made us take their money. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we weren't charging any forced, forced payment. And then that we said, okay, maybe somebody else will pay. But our plan was if we could, generate enough revenue on a part-time basis to meet 70 percent of our salary at the church we said that's enough of a signal from a business standpoint that if we could suck down our living a little bit and then build the business beyond 70 percent and we hit that within four or five months it was it was truly remarkable
0: yeah that's fantastic and and diane what was it like for you um, because you had been successful in business and you're watching him evolve and kind of affirming what he's talking about, affirming the things that he was really good at. You guys take the step of jumping into, uh, something that you feel led to do. What was that like for you?
2: Well, I loved it. I had been telling him, I think I, I really long before you thought about even maybe even thinking about this, I was the one saying to him, cause when you see your husband, In his when he was those tail end years of ministry, not enjoying it. It wasn't a a green light, got green light, yellow light, red light. You know, it was not. And you just see them. I knew there was more in him, and they weren't even tapping into what he could do and could offer and his strengths. And like, honey, there's there's got to be something else that you wake up in the morning and you are excited to go and do and. I I believe there's, so I was just the biggest cheerleader. Mm. I I was one that kept encouraging, let's think outside the box. What could that be? What could that look like? I was making money with my sales career. I'd left that company was in a sales organization. I was doing great in that. So we knew we had that income. I just wanted to see him flourish, whatever that looked like, because he was no longer flourishing it because he just wasn't doing what brought him joy. So I was like, I'm in. I mean, worst case, if we fall flat on our face, you put your resume together and you go back on staff at a church somewhere. But Mm -hmm. we're not going to know unless you try. And I'm 100% in. I want to go for it. There's just some things you don't know unless you just step out in fear. But it was, you know, we were wise. We counted all the costs before we just did that. But at the end, you go like, okay, to just do it then let's just do it mm-hmm. i'm 100 in we had a little family meeting with our boys before we really pulled the trigger here's what we're thinking here's what it would look like you know wanted them to be a buy-in and they were they were aware of all the risk and said yep yeah, we think dad this you need to do this you need to try this so we did
0: yeah absolutely and i think that you know there's a common pattern that you kind of see within the story uh, you just talked about of just being open to new experiences and being able to step out in faith and maybe overcoming some fears that you might have and pushing through it. And obviously, as you touched on the first chapter of the book, you talked about first time you got paid uh, and, and they were basically making a donation, but you know, you continued to do it because you knew you needed to be doing it and there was support there. There was affirmations going and moving in the right direction. And so as it kind of evolved over time, real quickly, in a nutshell, what are the things that you guys do within your business today?
1: I've got about four, four or five companies that I'm on a retainer with where I work with their top executives in their company, mainly in a one-on-one coaching capacity. And then I've probably got 15 other individuals who've come to me for various reasons. The, the unique demographic that I work in is leaders. So they're in some type of a leadership position. And we meet uh, one-on-one. I keep an ongoing, just like a physical trainer. I've got a, a growth path and plan. I've got it laid out. I've got our goals. And so for every person I, I, that gets in front of me, I'm looking at their uh, professional development plan. And we're talking about it. And I'm giving them new exercises to do. We meet for about 45 minutes. Uh, Pre-COVID, it was mainly in person. Uh, we used to do a two-day in-house retreat where they'd fly to Tulsa and stay the night with us, and I'd do a two-day intensive, and then coach them for the next year, then for all my local guys, they actually come in the office, so we've now shifted to about 50% Zoom, we opened up the office again last year, you know, with precautions, but um, it's uh, usually, last year, I averaged 16 coaching conversations a week, that's about, and, and really too much, I need to cut that back this year, so if you, if you sit in our living room, you'd see four or five people walking through our front door every single day. They come in, we sit down, we give them a snack and drink and, and we get at it. So yeah. that, that's, that's what it looks like. And yeah. I do a lot of
2: back office, invoicing, <clears throat> receiving all the payments, bank deposits, working CPA, with the CPA on you know. all things, just all the financials. So we say, I, I'm chief financial officer. But that also stands for Chief Fun Officer, so I get to plan the vacations when yeah. we
0: take a break. there you <laughs> go. That's the best job right there.
1: CFI means two things for me. Just uh, a, a little uh, business owner hack. Be careful if you give her the money and the authority to plan fun. Yeah. There, there's no breaks. There's no check and balance.
0: Uh huh. I like that job. <laughs> <All> right?
1: <laughs> I mean, whoops. Uh,
0: that's great. Well, you know, you guys have, you work with so many different people, but what are the things that, you know, you've seen that, you know, maybe hold people back from their potential? I know potential is something you talk about a lot and what you do, but how do you help people identify that and push them to achieve and maximize their potential?
1: Well, one, you got to do some self-analysis. So we've, we we've, we've talked about Dave Jewett, you're one hop on his website, he's got free resources, and begin the, uh, uh, a simple process of, of just understanding yourself. And, and part of the first step is to have the courage to be honest with yourself. Uh, so when I engage a new client who's stuck, who has plateaued, or maybe is even having some disruptive problems on the, uh, on the work front, the first thing I have to help them do is, do you know who you are? And you cannot believe the work I have to do to finally get this guy to say, you're right. This is what I love. This is what I'm passionate. Or these are. this is what I would love to do with my life. But it takes a while to get honest uh, because we're busy. Um, a lot of most of my guys are 40 plusers. So they're sort of mid-career, which means they've got two or three promotions. They're making a pretty good bank. And they don't like what they do but they can't just you know, quit because they're being paid enough. And so working through um, the courage to figure out who God made you to be and, and don't apologize for it. Now, don't, don't make any decisions yet, but let's get a baseline to work from that what are the unique resources he's given you? What are the unique ideas that you have? And if we could completely resource you, what would you do and why? And sometimes it takes me four or five months to work through that question. So I think that's the starting place is the the, do the work to get to know yourself. God worked pretty hard to make you unique. So why not take some time and and repay respectfully um, back to him who made you unique by figuring that out. And once you figure that out, then you can say, all right, so now what do I do with this? And that begins sort of a second conversation. Um, Of course, I'm going to advocate for the use of coaches and mentors, because it's very hard to do self-discovery without someone to bounce it off of once you think that you've made some headway. So it's really good to work on yourself and then go chat with someone and see if they'll validate or maybe give you the next thought or something like that. So. And then at some point, um, you got to revisit Mr. Courage again, because you're giving yourself permission or courage to figure out who you are. Now you've asked the so what do I do question. And when you finally land on something, then you have to have the courage to go do it.
3: Yeah.
1: And you don't have to change careers like I did. So I've probably helped 100 guys come up with uh, ways to fulfill their identity outside of work. So you don't have to necessarily change careers. Uh, And then I've helped some guys completely do what I did. You know, their second half, they really shifted um, to a different career.
0: Yeah. And courage is powerful. You got to have the courage to be able to be honest with yourself, like you said, and ask those questions. And then have secondary courage to move into that and not just sit. You know it, but you got to move into it and have some action on that. But it's something that is really interesting is there's a lot of people that feel stuck in what they're doing, as you just touched on. And I mean, you touched on some of the things, but why do you feel like so many people feel stuck in a job or profession or whatever it might be, or even maybe a relationship too? Um, and how do, you, how do you continue to work through that on top of asking those questions?
1: Well, I, thinking, I think being stuck is a real gift um, because something's wrong. It's like a low-grade fever. They can still go to work every day and they can sort of get up for the moment. And, but something's wrong. And you know, when they're quiet with their own thoughts and, and they say, man, I, I really don't like this job or whatever, I'm stuck. That's a gift to admit that, that surely this isn't all that God was thinking when he made me. Because this is a much heavier lift than it should be. So I, I think seeing being stuck as a gift because uh, go ahead and say it this is not your best life. Hmm. Okay, good. We got that out in the open. Now we can do something.
0: And Diane, real quick, you you know you were in, in sales and, and very uh, you know did very well in that. Or did you feel like you were kind of in your skill set within the, your work at the time? Yes. Yes. So yeah. you had so basically my point is that you had you were kind of living in the skill set. And yeah. Nathan, you were kind of in something where you didn't necessarily—it wasn't totally fulfilling you. And as you transition transition into that, it's just kind of interesting those perspectives as you guys had a marriage and we're yeah. seeing both each other—one doing well and one maybe not doing exactly what they want to do—and then you know today, obviously, you're you're doing that, so <laughs> it's all worked out. But just uh, that's a unique perspective that you get to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know her her excitement. And, you know, just the business metrics are going like this. Yes. In nonprofit world, we don't use any metrics. You know, we're just here to serve. Uh, But I felt my my spirit and contribution and, you know, I love Dave's analogies. I felt like I was hitting singles every day of my life. Where are the home runs? It's been years since I've hit a home run. You know, that's sort of my terminology. And I miss that.
0: Mm -hmm. And then you you get to see someone that is doing that, you know, each and every day. Also, I, I love the point that you made being stuck is a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't say many people view that as the way it is when they feel stuck, but if you can get yourself to identify that being stuck is a gift to be able to see, okay, well, if it's a gift, I'm going to figure out why it is a gift and ask, ask the right questions to yeah. that. And real quickly, you know, kind of transitioning into what you talked about before having the courage to Ask those questions about yourself, identify what those things are, but then have the courage to take action. Why is it so important to have a coach help you identify those things and then obviously have the accountability to take action?
1: Because you might be wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go.
1: You know, a lot, of, a lot of restaurants go out of business their first year. It's because they thought that serving people tacos is going to pay the bills. No, it's the guy in the back room doing inventory. In the, well, they, they didn't think about that. You know, so a coach can help you think about all the ramifications of a change uh, because you're, you know, uh, guys get excited when they go through this exercise and they found their sweet spot and their passion and they start dreaming a little bit. And, it's like, and they forget about the, you know, the ripple effect of that decision. Uh, for me, it's the 20th of every month when we got an invoice. I, I hate that day because it's a lot of paperwork, double checking things, messing with QuickBooks. Um, but that's, that's part of the deal. And so when I worked with the people that were influencing me, they would help me say, well, can you handle this? Can you handle that? Because one of my concerns was I didn't want to ruin my hobby, you know, where I was just getting to do it a little bit. And if I go full time, is this going to be as exciting? No. So mm-hmm. I, I would, I'm a big fan of outside counsel.
0: Yeah. And just having people that see, have another perspective, hold you accountable and, and help you going in the right direction. Cause it's very easy to get so focused and narrow minded towards what you want to be doing, but you may not realize that you're in the wrong direction or, or maybe need to tail it off just a little bit to another, another angle.
1: And and you may not realize the cost.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely.
1: And when I train coaches, I'm really good because of my own experience. I'm really good at helping them. We'll spend a a season. Once we get past, Hey, I think I want to do this. I think I'm gifted at this. It's okay. Now let's talk about the cost involved. Mm -hmm. You know, and I really walk them through this, that for you to be successful in coaching, um, here's some things you're going to have to do on a weekly basis.
0: Sure. And that kind of leads us into the book a little bit. How did you get into coaching coaching? coaches
1: um well diane and i've been at this like i said 11 years um we didn't have a lot of help coaching in the midwest in 2008 2009 when we were exploring this was sort of a rarity it was a lot bigger uh in australia and it was bigger in the east and west coast so we were kind of in no man's land so we didn't have a lot of help um I did a lot of things wrong and unnecessarily. Um, I wish I could go back. And um, and then when you've, in my industry, if you do coaching over three years and you're still alive, you're, you're kind of a, a hero. You're kind of a, you're kind of the coach's coach. And it's just because we're still out here. That's why.
0: Uh-huh. Last man standing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I turned 60 this year. And so we began a conversation last year about what do we want my, our 60s to be about? Uh, she's a lot younger than me, by the way. Okay.
2: Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'm not there yet.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I started thinking, well, let's, let's pretend I only got one decade left of real high energy impact. What do we want it to be? And we go to giving back. And we were a big fan of coaching. We've been recipients of it. We've helped thousands of people now. And we thought, what could we do to give back to the coaching community?
2: It's our legacy piece, like in your mission statement. There you go. We want Mm -hmm. to leave legacy. We're into legacy. We are.
1: So um, I started looking around for coaching networks. There's some out there, um, coaching certification courses. And at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself. So we began exploring what would that look like. We came up with the name, Real Coaching Success. Um, we laid out a long-term business plan. So it's got three legs to the stool. The first leg was write the book. Um, and then the course, and then the, the, we're building the network as we go. And so what we hope to see happen at the end of the next decade is that we see Thousands of coaches that have been encouraged and influenced and resources because of what we're doing. Um, that what I get to do every single day when I'm coaching is I get to participate in life change. I mean, we're talking about real issues. Uh, you know, the doors are closed; it's private, and I'm a pretty focused listener. And people are sharing their stories with me and their struggles and their challenges and. And I get to help them advance their lives. Well, what happens if there were 10,000 of me, 10,000 more than there are now because of something we could do? And so that's what really lit the fire under us. Um, and so that, that's our plan. That's where we're headed.
0: Yeah. And that's great backstory to the book. Obviously, the book, there's so much great stuff. And, and talking about coaching and, and the impact that you can have on the people that you coach and the life change that happens from it talked about legacy and how that's important you guys to help just make an impact in, in people's lives and have a, have a resource. You know, you guys wrote down all the things that you kind of trial and error on and you found to be the best things you could, you could apply. And it's right there for people to, uh, to read and apply in their own coaching business. But another thing that as you guys were talking about that, you think about, you know, you're 60 and you're thinking about the next years ahead of you. I think there's a word that comes to my mind, which I think I've heard you touch on this word before, but just in there's intention behind what you do and how important is having intention and intentionality in your life, in, in, in your family, your marriage, uh, your work, your business, your daily, daily disciplines and daily schedule, having intention in that. How important is that?
2: Very. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're not intentional, I mean, that's, that's where you really see uh, the influence, the impact on others, but it's really self-leadership. I mean, intentionality is kind of self-leadership to me. If I'm not intentional, you know, for me, the, the daily time with the Lord, you know, prayer time and scripture and um, acting on, you know, I think women a lot, I'll have a thought about somebody I should call then i know i've got to be intentional and i just need to act on that there's just gut instincts we get on people and things i might should do or somebody i need to reach out to and i just have to be very intentional and act on those things mm. but it's work you know sometimes it's like okay i'm gonna have to i just need to stop right now and go make that phone call well, i don't know it's just it can look so minute but the small daily things you do is what builds. Kind of, I've heard it once said, it's like daily private victories is what leads to public victories.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something you just talked about when you feel led to make a, pick up the phone and make a call. Yeah. Uh, something that small, something that simple makes such a big impact. I mean, if you call one of your friends or someone you haven't talked to in a while, they remember that. Like, oh, wow, Diane, you decided to pick up the phone call me. I haven't talked to him in a while. And they, people, we appreciate those things. And so it's a little, little thing like that can make a big impact in being intentional.
1: One thing that will <clears throat> help people become more intentional, some, some of us come by it naturally, we're a little bit more task and driven. Mm-hmm. Others are much more relational. Um, so if you want to up your game on intentionality is you've got to think about what does it mean for you to finish your life well? So kind of the Matthew 25, when Jesus asked those guys, he said, hey, what'd you do with what I gave you? So I just take that concept and I ask people, what are all the resources that God has given you? Who do you know? What gifts and talents do you have? What do you own? Uh, What are some of your dreams? I think you should be responsible for dreams and aspirations. You know, where'd those come from? And then saying, um, for you to finish your life well, how are you gonna steward these and manage these? Because if not, you're gonna wake up you know, at the end and you, you realize you've wasted so much time. Uh, when I was a pastor, I did 55 funerals. And when you do that kind of volume of funerals, you, you kind of learn some stuff. And one of the things I had to wrestle with as I'm standing there at the head of the casket as people are filing by is this guy didn't finish well. I mean, I know his backstory. And he could have done so much more with his family, so much more with his talent, so much more with his resources. You, know, you can't say that because that's not the appropriate venue. Yeah. But, but I knew the story. And I thought, you know what? That's not going to be me. When I finish, I want to be able to say to myself and I want others to say of me, there's no way he was perfect. But man, that guy finished well because he stewarded Everything he could get his hands on that God gave him, you know, for the kingdom purposes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that, if you can sort of, you're, you're too young to probably know Stephen Covey's writings.
0: I, I know Stephen Covey, yeah.
1: Is he back there somewhere on your bookshelf?
0: <laughs> he's, he's on the bookshelf, yeah. Okay. He made it on the bookshelf.
1: So, you know, one of his major concepts that he's famous for is beginning with the end in mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, that, that's Matthew 25. Is you know, the, the, the manager's going to come back and he's going to say, what would you do with what I gave you? And we wanna be able to say, here, here, here's what I did. And he says, man, home run, way to go.
0: Yeah. What about for someone that doesn't even know where to start? Like They might ask that question, but they don't even know where to begin. How do they go about that?
1: You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of this uh, exercise myself. And I tell people that I make do the exercise that say, hey, I don't like this, but you're gonna do it. This um, <laughs> is the funeral exercise. So we just go and we plan your funeral and we say, who do you want to be there? Of course, they're going to talk about family, friends, whatever. And then I'll say, what do you want them to say about you? Because they got to say something. What do you want them to say about you? And if you stay on the current path you're at, will they say that?
3: Hmm.
1: So who are are the brothers and sisters you need to spend more time with? You know, how do you you get more focused with your finances? and you can just sort of inventory, how do I want to end up, you know, and then I think if you're a person of faith, you can ask God to say, ask him to say, how do you want me to steward my life, you know, and am I doing a good job now, and and by asking those self-reflective questions, you, you can begin to get a vision of improvement, or a vision of finishing, and that sort of fans the flame on intentionality, so I, I think, you, you never start with intentionality. You start with, what am I trying to, to achieve?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a few quick questions as we kind of wind down. How important is discipline? When you identify those things, you have courage, you take action, you have people around you that support you. How important is having daily discipline? And how do you, how do you build upon that each day?
1: Well, the only reason you need discipline is because you're not naturally motivated. You know, you you don't I I need no discipline eating quarter pounders. <laughs> it's it's my favorite. She can she can tell you it's one of my favorite foods of the world. I have to have discipline not to do it. So okay. you gotta understand what discipline is there for. And it's it's to help us do things we don't naturally want to do, but they're very important. Mm-hmm. You know, taking time for family, taking time for friends, taking time for exercise. I'll skip. Our workouts really easy, but discipline is what helps me stay engaged in what matters most to me. Because it, it it some things don't, that are important to me don't come to me naturally. So you take discipline out, you're not going to go very far. Yeah, you're, you're just not. You're going to be underutilized, and at best, you're going to finish mediocre. This there's just no way forward. Yeah,
2: it helps me when I kind of what's that end goal I'm going for, you know, like I'm working out. I want to be physically fit. I want to be able to pick up grandbabies, carry toddlers up and down my stairs. I mean, you start thinking about just that my life things I want to be strong and able to do motivates me to do the workouts even when I don't feel like it. But it's because I have this goal that's attached to it Mm
0: -hmm. that I
2: really want. So it helps me to do the things, I mean, discipline, like what we're talking about to me is, how do you still do it when you don't feel like doing it? That's, or at least that's where I come from. You know, I do not feel like doing boot camp today. Yeah, have a buddy. You know, yeah. sometimes I don't feel like. Like no, nope, we're gonna do it, and then there's other days it's vice versa. But um, I don't know that it is hard. It, it's hard. Well, I mean,
1: in, in there's the scriptures. It's work. They don't pull any punching w- when it comes to discipline. You can go to Google and type in Bible and type in the word discipline. It's in there for a reason because they're doing us a favor by giving us a heads up saying there's a lot of things that you aspire to in your spiritual life. They're not going to come naturally apart from discipline. Mm -hmm. So uh, discipline really is our friend uh, because it helps us move towards where we want to go.
0: Yeah. I love that because it is, you have a goal, you have a purpose of where you want to be. And you may not want to do it, but having to continually push yourself to do that because you know you're gonna like the outcome, even though you don't like the the outcome in the moment, right? Yeah,
1: it's it's the classic going. We used to go to the Y downtown at six AM in the winter. Uh-huh. Going, we hate it. We left, we felt like, I don't would. mess with us. We're amazing, <laughs> you know.
0: I remember I remember seeing you guys there. I didn't get there when you guys got there. I, I got there right when you guys were done. So <laughs> yeah,
1: I noticed you were a little fresh as we were leaving.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was very fresh, very fresh. So <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. You know, as we kind of wind down, have there been any resources? You kind of touched on some today, but are there any resources, books, podcasts, things that you guys have you know listened to or done that have really impacted you in a positive way?
1: You should tell them about the book you're working through. It's really good. Mm.
2: Right now I'm reading with my two best friends. We're going through it together called Your One Life by Lance Witt, W-I-T-T. And he's really challenging you. You have one life, own it, live it, love it. It's kind of a sub, which I love. But it's um, really helping you define your purpose um, getting clarity he started talked about courage but at the end of each chapter he has reflect reflective questions and there's about seven questions and it takes me about two days to think about them because they're so they're like oh my gosh I don't know what I would put on that and I have to think about it and we're using that as a great way to have really some good, deep, intentional conversations as best friends. And, and we do that anyway, but this is just a way to have have them too, you know, so that's yeah, that is a powerful book. And I'm just three chapters in.
1: A, a great book on the philosophy of time is called 4000 Weeks. Mm. And it's a great reminder from a secular secular perspective. about. this this whole false concept of becoming more efficient with your time. And he used to be a self-efficiency expert and now he's completely flipped. And so he he puts his argument in this book. And it is a great way to remind yourself that you've got to get focused and prioritized for you to have a shot at your one best life. Um, And it's just a really intriguing read. A second one I would recommend is the gift of being yourself by Benner B E N N E R. I will warn you; it's a deep read. So it's a it's a very thought provoking. It's from a Christian perspective, but it, it kind of gets into this this. Uh, it invites you to investigate further the work that God did to made you unique, um, and so it's called the the you know it's a self discovery book. Mm-hmm. Those are two very, very different books that I would recommend kind of on this topic.
0: Yeah, I thought you guys were going to say Real Coaching Success, but those, those work great too. So, <laughs> Well,
1: hey, we actually got that in the screen, so we're, we're good.
0: Okay, <laughs> yeah. So as we kind of wind down, I want to ask you guys you know, a little fire round. So I'll say a sentence and you can kind of finish it with a word or a sentence. Okay. You can do anything if.
2: If it's in your hard wiring. I don't
1: think you can do this
2: anything.
1: Yeah. I learned that. Hard. Yeah. We, we reject the notion of you can be any, anybody you want to be, you can do anything you want to do. Oh, really? Let's test that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you don't run a four, two in the NFL, guess what? You're not going to be a wide receiver. Good luck. I don't yeah. need to be an IT coach little league, but <laughs> you're not out there.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> that, that's great. I love that. Love means.
1: I'm with you.
2: I'm going to walk beside you, always believe in you. And then there's just the scripture love is kind, steadfast. But
1: I, I, for me, my first thought was love is a gift. Mm -hmm. I used to be really, I majored on giving it and I failed on receiving it. And I had to learn to receive love um and my favorite picture of that is jesus sitting and allowing the lady to wash his feet where here's king of the universe savior of the world and he chooses to sit and receive and i thought man if i were in that room i would just struggle with that of course he wasn't king jesus back at that moment um he was an amazing rabbi but um I think after his resurrection, if I would have been in the room reflecting back on what I saw, knowing who he was, I would have said, wow, I got to witness love.
0: Yeah, that's great. Your favorite vacation spot?
1: Italy. Uh, Mine is the San Juan Islands. Diane and I happen to be certified boat captains, so we charter yachts. Uh, we've graduated from 41 feet up to 46 feet this year so getting out there with a big boat that we could kill ourselves on out in the <laughs> middle of the water is just amazing to me <laughs>
3: yeah
0: that is very cool you don't hear that very often. that's awesome determination is well there's
2: this little phrasing i will go over i will go under i will go around i will go through any obstacle that comes in my way that's just in my head that's kind of a determination that's just i don't i don't care what you throw at me if i'm on course and i know where i'm supposed to go bring it because i will figure out a way to still get
0: there yeah love it that's awesome man could that not have been a halftime i know no i'm ready i'm ready to go do something right now
1: you know they said that in the chief locker room at halftime that's right
0: (laughs) They did. They did. They said it about 20 seconds left in the game. So
1: yeah. <laughs> for me, determination is decision.
0: That's great. We're done with the fire round. You know, in the final two questions I have for you guys, you know, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received?
2: You are enough. My personal, I needed to hear that. Just don't compare. Don't think about, your shortcomings. Just know that you are enough. And that, that means that that means a lot for me.
1: Mine's a little bit similar. It's why not? Why not try it? You know, I mean, just being asked that question, why not? Which I don't know why not. Well, okay, let's try it. You know, just, yeah short and sweet but it challenges me of hey is this something that's really in me then why not try it
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah those are those are great um this podcast is called building excellence what does building excellence mean to you all
2: well it's it's doing the right thing it's sticking with it
1: the i think it's important um excellence is a is an overused word So I think each man and woman should define for themselves what excellence is. Otherwise, you're you're gonna be listening to other people's scripts. So you figure that out and then you give your life to build towards that. You know, and you you own that and it's it's private, it's yours.
2: But you don't take shortcuts and excellence to me is whatever, however long it takes, whatever cost it is, you still have to put in the work and it's, it's worth it. But excellence is, there's no shortcut.
1: That, that's why I, I love what you're doing here is that you're getting people's stories. So those are little micro movies of people trying to build their own excellence. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you, and if you think about looking at all the questions you ask us, you, you let us build towards our version of what we think excellence is, Hmm. but that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. And everyone's story is different and there's always lessons to be learned and everyone defines it differently. That's important to figure out what that means to you, what, what excellence is, and then, uh, have that determination to go after it. So every single day, most likely it's going to be something that you never attain. It's a daily pursuit of, of just this constant build to be the best you can be. Anyway, all that, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Thank you for what you're doing. You know, you've, you're, you're trying to give back. You're trying to leave a legacy that empowers people to help uh, build lives of excellence, to help them achieve that in their lives. And uh, you can see that by what you're doing with your company, Lead Self, Lead Others by the book. You know, um, if someone hasn't read it yet, it's real coaching success. You can find it anywhere, right? Online. Yep. Amazon. Um, Amazon. What other way would would you want people to, if they wanted to learn more about you guys and reach out, what's the best way to do that?
1: Well, we have two offerings. Um, If if you need something in the area of personal professional development, LeadSelfLeadOthers.com. If you're interested in coaching, mentoring, whether it's uh, fee-based coaching or as a volunteer, and you're just looking for a network, you're looking for, uh, we do daily uh, Friday devotions every week to coaches uh, as a spiritual encouragement. If you're looking for Uh, workshops we offer that but it's you know it's it's new it's a young company two years old but realcoachingsuccess.com is really devoted to people who share our passion of using ourselves and our time to develop others
0: yeah absolutely we'll definitely check that out nathan diane thank you guys so much for coming on the show Thank you.
1: It's
2: been a pleasure.
0: Thanks. Hey, everyone. It's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.